I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that reluctantly goes back to covering comic book movies when people complain about us doing a non-comic book movie, even though the non-comic book movie is one of the best movies ever made. Not bitter or anything. (laughs) I'm Seb Patrick, and joining me to talk a lot about cliches, while also still ourselves (laughs) being cliched, are... James Hunt. And Sam Clements. Uh, We're going to discuss David S. F. Wilson's 2020 film Bloodshot, and as it's a new release, we will do a little non-spoilery section for you at the outset just in case you want to get some opinion from us as to whether it's worth getting it on demand, and then we'll go into full spoilers. But first, Sam, hello, welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Uh, You were last here for The Dark Knight Rises. You were here with Simon Renshaw, but you're you're flying solo on the pod for the first time. Nice to see you. Absolutely. The the wife's away tonight, so um, I'm allowed (laughs) out uh, to talk to you guys. Um, Yeah, that was really fun talking about The Dark Knight Rises, the best Christopher Nolan Batman film. Just going to leave that there. I (laughs) think I almost agree now. Having having rewatched it with you guys, it made me really see the film in a whole new light. And it's like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, I don't know if we, how much we went into this on the last episode, partly because you were here with Simon, so we probably talked about your your work together with Simon. But uh, you're probably best known at the moment for the the successful podcast, 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, not 90 Minutes or Fewer Film Festival. (laughs) I seem to remember making that joke when you were last on, so... Tell us a little bit about that and how that's going and and how you found doing that over the... Because it's been going for a little while now, hasn't it? And you've sort of grown and grown yeah it's uh the podcast has been going for about 18 months uh which is uh it's, it's been a blur to be honest because <laughs> um, we do it around our other jobs um but yeah basically the concept of the podcast is it's a celebration of films which are under 90 minutes long because in usual normal circumstances when we're all leaving the house and going out uh and coming home from work and stuff that's about how long i have to watch a film on an evening although at the moment um i'm just watching way too many films and having a, a really great time doing that um and yeah the the whole idea of the show is it's uh it's every episode a guest will join us to curate our fictional film festival uh, and add another under 90 minute film to our lineup we're on about 35 films at the moment uh so it's a proper film festival guys you know we're uh, we're getting there (laughs) it's a long even with 90 minute films it's a long film festival now i mean it is the kind of question people always ask isn't it like what's good and short that i can watch quickly on netflix and whenever people People do that on Twitter or in real life. I'm just like, 
you need to go and check out this podcast because that will be a definitive <laughs> set of answers for you. What's been your favourite film that you've covered on the pod? I Luckily, a lot of really good films are under 90 minutes long. So like pretty much every Disney animation is under 90 minutes. All of those 80s comedies uh, from the SNL guys, uh, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, uh, they're all sort of under 90 minutes long. Uh, we've had uh, The Naked Gun. We're going to have The Man with Two Brains. Uh, a lot of Steve Ooh, Martin films nice. especially are under 90 minutes long, I'm discovering. And uh, yeah, so I'm enjoying those, the classics, but then I'm also enjoying some... Uh, some more obscure choices uh from some guests which is really nice like we have no involvement in the guests choosing the film at all they send me sometimes they send me a few things and i'm like no just send me one what is the one you want to talk about <laughs> um and and sometimes you know it might be this obscure piece of world cinema uh which is a really nice discovery <laughs> uh so yeah i've been introduced to a canadian filmmaker called andrea dorfman on the podcast uh who had a film called parsley days which annoyingly when we recorded it did not have any sort of uk dvd release at all so i bought a czech dvd to watch it and then literally the week we put the podcast up the film went up on youtube for free officially from a canadian cultural body uh to promote filmmaking in canada so really good for listeners but bad for sam at that point <laughs> um, obscure world um, cinema is definitely the energy i will bring to it when i finally get around <laughs> to choosing one. Oh no yeah, i'd love to hear what you uh, what you choose well we you know we we can't bring superhero movies on because yeah because they're all eight hours long yeah the only times you've been able to i mean i think the only film you've had a main episode on is quite recently our our mutual friend amon uh did batman beyond return of the joker and i know that in a christmas special was it chris hewitt mentioned teen titans go to the movies which obviously is is utterly phenomenal um but like basically animation i think is the only place to find a sub 90 minute superhero movie yeah i'm still i'm still looking for a live action uh, superhero film under 90 minutes or a live action comic book film under 90 minutes even i thought men in black was um but it's like 91 or 92 uh so still nothing there steel is 97 minutes i thought steel might be a good shout but uh and presumably you don't count tv movies well i think it depends we don't count tv series that the sort of remit is it has to be a standalone story but sometimes tv series do have a feature length episode i think amon's uh batman beyond uh f- he chose to sort of batman beyond film but that is a spin-off of the batman beyond tv show and um another guest sam pay from the song by song podcast chose batman mask of the phantasm which is a spin-off of the batman animated series but um but yeah i, I guess it, i think it has to be that it has to be like released as a standalone story even if it is using characters uh from a from a series <laughs> the word released may disqualify the generation x tv movie which has been absolutely buried although it is one hour 27 <laughs> minutes so oh wow Oh, Generation X, and I imagine Nick Fury must uh, must make it as well. So, but no, but we wouldn't want to do those because we've already done that on, uh, <laughs> on this podcast. But you, but people will be able to hear what I choose at some point. Yeah, right yeah, absolutely. It was really fun. <laughs> One of the joys of um, this really horrible, horrible time we're all living in is um, we are having more time to record guests because everything has to be done remotely. Um, so it was really fun talking to you, Seb. And uh, yeah, your episode is coming up uh, early summer. I will. Uh, I, th- I think we're we're on. We're sort of working out our schedule. <laughs> we release our podcast by uh, is it bi-weekly or is it fortnightly? That's a question. Um, every two weeks, 
is the answer. Fortnightly. <laughs> Fortnightly. <laughs> um, we release it fortnightly. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so sometimes, you know, like, oh, you're a couple of episodes away, but uh, it's actually like two months in, in real money. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, being a couple of episodes away is about two months with our pod at current rate as well. We're, we're too busy doing video live streams and such like. Well, Sam. So you've you've uh, you've come to the to the show as as one of the, the from from the more filmy side of things. Uh, and actually, we're we're getting you to talk about Bloodshot because you actually watched Bloodshot before James and I did. And I saw you tweeting about the fact that you'd watched it. And we're like, oh, okay, we can we can get Sam on to talk about it then. Uh, before we do get into that, um, since you are a, a film guy rather than a comics guy, is there anything burning about comics that you that you feel like James and I could help you by explaining? Yeah, I think it. Um, I love I love this part of uh, your show because I'm like I'm I'm one of those guys <laughs> who really doesn't know much about comics at all, and uh, you've answered so many you know sort of uh, <laughs> questions which I've just been too embarrassed to sort of ask. So I love that other people have got to ask you them. Um, but I think it sort of relates to today's film. Has anybody ever stayed dead in a comic? If someone <laughs> dies on the page, like is that is, is there any character which is like absolutely there is it's canon that they are dead? Like, can they ever come back? There used to be a rule, <laughs> and that rule kept getting broken. Because what? How did it go, James? There were only three people in comics who stay dead. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben, Bucky, and Gwen Stacy. Yeah, and two of those are definitively back. I mean, it's not the Gwen Stacy who's back, right? It's a Gwen Stacy. Well, no, no, it's not the Gwen Stacy who's back. And I suppose the Gwen Stacy has never been literally resurrected. Like, that that version of Gwen Stacy who died in the 1970s has never been resurrected. But clones of her have turned up. Alternate universe versions of her have turned up. Bucky, obviously, that, that was the big joke, was Bucky was dead for so long. And that's why it was such a big deal when he came back as the Winter Soldier. Or did he? Because you can read that comic as saying that it's not actually Bucky. That's part of the joy of that comic. Although that's kind of been forgotten now. But the joy of that that, that Ed Brubaker, Captain America comic is that it is ambiguous as to whether the Cosmic Cube restores Bucky's memories or if it makes the Winter Soldier, who is not Bucky, believe that he was Bucky. Um. <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing about Bucky is that he didn't actually die in a comic. He no. he was around in the 1940s and then he sort of disappeared. And when they brought Captain America back in the 60s, they decided that he had been killed at some point in the past. Um, so he, he very much died off screen. Mm. And then he was gone for like 40 years. And everyone was like, why would we bring Bucky back? Because that would be crazy. Um, and then Ed Brubaker mm. sort of took that and ran with it. And apparently when he proposed it to Marvel, there were some big conversations about like, they really dug in, dug in and said, like, if you do this, you're messing with one of like the rules about comics, which is that no one wants to see Bucky come back. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say he has been proven definitively correct in in the storytelling choices he made. <laughs> I've, I've just realised as well too that, that yeah the, the other one maybe it was some some people used to say Gwen Stacy but I think the other one was was Jason Todd was the character who mm. people always said stayed dead and the whole point with Jason Todd was that he got killed off because nobody liked him <laughs> yeah. and he got voted to be killed <laughs> off. Uh, you know, obviously him coming back, I think you could. It's fair to say has been a mixed bag in terms of quality. I think, I think on balance, having a character like Jason as part of the Bat family has worked quite well. Oh, definitely, because yeah. 
he's the guy in the Bat family who could, who agrees with Bruce's cause, but is the most opposed to him in terms of how to do it, and he's and he's utterly willing to kill because he's been dead already, and he was already a bit of a nutter. So I, I like having him in the mix, even though sometimes the comics that he's been in have been pretty bad. So I don't mind that they brought Jason back because the point is, when they brought him back, they found something to do with him that was interesting that they'd never done back when he was Robin. So that's okay. Uh, I mean, Uncle Ben is is obviously the big one and we've seen things like again alternate you an alternate universe uncle ben showed up in spider-verse and it was a big twist in spider-verse that one of the one of the universes spider-man was ben parker and that was a nice reveal i'm trying to think if there's anybody else who is who's major anyway oh captain marvel Mar- marvel the original captain marvel he's mm, never come back has he james or has, has he, he never come back I mean, they found ways to sort of fudge why he isn't alive. But again, you know, they've brought him back temporarily and stuff. Um, mm. I think Uncle Ben is the only guy where they've never said, here is the actual Uncle Ben and he is actually back from the actual dead. Mm. But then that's the character whose death is so integral to everything about the biggest and best Marvel hero that it's like nobody could get away with doing Yeah, I don't think there's realistically a story you can do where Uncle Ben comes back to life that doesn't utterly torpedo (laughs) the entire Spider-Man mythos. Mm. But yeah, I think other than that, the only times that characters stay dead is if they get old enough to die. Like, you know, original Starman Ted Knight died in the pages of the comic and was old at the time and that's been done with other characters but if a character gets killed off before their time i mean i mean you know technically super that version of supergirl's never been brought back but then the entire universe was wiped out and reset straight afterwards and eventually a different version of her you could you could make an argument for some like that but you know all all your kind of your big classics your barry allen flash has been brought back hal jordan green lantern brought back oliver queen green arrow Jason Todd, we mentioned, Jean Grey, lol. <laughs> um, <laughs> James used to have it. It was the the most popular page by a considerable margin on our comic site of ours. Alternate cover was a page called The Many Deaths of Jean Grey, <laughs> where James just wrote down every single time Jean Grey had died. <laughs> it was a lot. It was like 15. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for a while it used to be like one of the top results on Google for Jean Grey death. Wow, that's a good way to rack up the traffic. <laughs> uh, as as comic book fans if you're like committed to a character being dead for a few years and then they decide to bring them back how do you feel i i sort of feel the opposite i always think if you're gonna if you kill a character it's so i think it's kind of selfish to kill off comic characters because what you're essentially saying is i get to play with this toy and i'm breaking this toy and someone else can't use it i think if you like one of my favorite um x-men comics was uncanny x-force by rick remender and in that there was a point where a character called Archangel, you know Archangel, you know Angel, right? From the X-Men movies. So he he was turned into Archangel and there was a point where logically he should have died. But what they actually did was like reset his memories and give him a different concept. And I think that's a much more interesting thing to do, which is to say, well, he's not actually dead, but everything about him has changed and is gone. And he's essentially a new version of the character. 
Like it, it creates a new story rather than just saying you can't use that one anymore. Mm. I mean, I, I you know, I, I'm a very big fan of the death and return of Superman storyline, but that is not a story that had any pretense that Superman would stay dead. The story was about what happens when Superman is dead, who tries to replace him, and bringing him back is where we show you why he's better than the alternative options that were going to replace him. And and that whole story was done by all the same people. It wasn't that scenario, James where they were like yeah let's kill him off and then 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 leave and leave it for someone else to clean up it was no we're gonna kill him off and then we're gonna bring him back so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty all right with that because that's a story in its own right death of captain america i think is a similar thing you know when when they killed off steve rogers he was back before ed brubaker had left so <laughs> the interesting thing about that is that they they killed him off and then he was originally planned to be dead for about six months and mm. the the sort of story expanded so much in the telling of it and the response was so big that they kept him dead for almost two years, I think it was, in the end. <laughs> I, I love it when, when you get company interference in something like that, where it's like someone has a specific story, but then the company goes, oh, but we can get an event out of this. So this happened with Grant Morrison killing off Batman. And Grant Morrison's point was he was going to kill off Batman, and then Dick Grayson was going to be Batman for a year. And he had a specific story in mind about Dick Grayson being Batman and then Bruce Wayne coming back. But DC decided to come up with an event called battle for the cowl so inserted awkwardly between the end of the storyline where it's made clear that dick is going to be the new batman and the start of dick being the new batman you have several other characters arguing over who gets to be the new batman not written by grant morrison it was just why have you done this I think that's a good that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> comic comic book death. It's it's something that we all have have learned to live with, and and we you know comics themselves acknowledge the trope, and uh, hopefully they're getting better at it. As long as it works yeah. for the story at the time, that's what matters. I think this is why as well. You know, with the movies, it's obviously it's a perfectly movie arc to have killed Tony Stark, and for that to be the permanent end of Tony Stark as a movie character, but. He's a comic book character, so in the back of our minds will always be, oh, but they'll find a way to bring him back eventually. <laughs> when the films are flagging and they need Robert Downey Jr. back, they'll find a way. I mean, Sam, what do you think they're going to do with Iron Man in the movies? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, is that the first major character in the Marvel, like the 20 or so Marvel Cinematic Universe films to, to, to die like that? Depends how you, if you count Loki. <laughs> I mean, a bunch of them disappeared in Infinity War, like Vision and Black Widow also died and uh, are ostensibly not coming back, although <laughs> Black Widow has a movie and Vision has a TV series, so. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess we know, it's the funny thing about the films is, which you don't get in the comics as much, is um, unless there is maybe a big sort of writer or artist who is going to leave, um, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s contract was being talked about, I think, right you know, even with Iron Man 2, people were talking about how much he was being paid and and then when Avengers happened, how much it cost to get him in Avengers and to get him into Captain America and all that sort of stuff. So I think because he is such a big financial concern, um, <laughs> I imagine that version of him... I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if you need... I don't know if we need Iron Man, I guess, anymore. I think there's so many Marvel characters now... Um, you could probably do with shedding a few to introduce some more and, and uh, studios always want to be able to get in you know like new actors as well to sell tickets to new markets and to you know boost new talent and that kind of thing so I think they they sort of need to clear the decks for multiple reasons um, 
But that being said, he's so iconic. If there was a, a hologram of Robert Downey Jr. or a video he recorded <laughs> before he died or a, whatever, a manual he wrote uh, at some point <laughs> that someone finds, then um, that would be a really good sort of stunt uh, to get him in. I don't, I mean, they can't just sort of, if they keep the Marvel Cinematic Universe going as as is and don't do sort of like a soft reboot where a younger Robert Downey Jr. comes in, a, a younger uh, Tony Stark comes in and uh, and they just sort of, you know, pretend Endgame didn't happen, um, that would be one way. But I think they're going to go for this continuity thing where it acknowledges all of the, the past films. So they, I don't think they can sort of recast, like they can do maybe with the X-Men, if they do come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe now, they can just recast them all. And hooray, um, we've got a whole new set of characters. But I think because of those things, you you would probably just let Tony Stark be dead and he is the shadow that looms over and, and maybe Downey Jr. Or, or phone film something on his phone and send it in for uh, millions and millions of dollars <laughs> and they'll get lots of press about this amazing cameo uh, that he does playing a video cassette. That's my, that's yeah, my pitch. You're, you make a good point, actually, which is that at the moment, see, my opinion has always been that eventually they will recast Iron Man and they'll come up with a story where, you know, like you say, a younger Iron Man drops out of a time hole and they go, okay, here's Tony Stark's suits. You're the new Iron Man. You figure it out. But actually, you're right in that, at the moment at least, there is value in saying to people like, or value in value in saying, yeah, Tony Stark is dead, and if we keep Robert Downey Jr. potentially in play, we can we can make bank off getting him to film a tiny cameo at some point. Um, so that is a good good reason why they might actually keep him dead that I hadn't considered before. Because they've also introduced characters who do stuff that he does, like Shuri and uh, mm-hmm. Tom Holland's uh, Peter Parker, like they, and and even uh, now that we've got, uh, you know, we had the Hulk in a lab coat, um, you know, we, we've got um, <laughs> other sort of boffins who can do what Tony Stark was doing. Um, so I don't know if you need him for sort of story reasons either. Um, I would I would be very sort of impressed if Marvel just let that character always be dead in the films and never brought Downey Jr. back. I would be, you know, just quietly pleased <laughs> with the be. Marvel studio execs about that decision. <laughs> they would gain your approval. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I guess, I guess a rival studio DC, they, they don't have as good continuity or, or they're not really trying for that. <laughs> Much like the comics. <laughs> that universe. So they can, they can just keep recasting people, you know, and um, I think even today in the news, Patty Jenkins was, you know, praising the, the you know, having these standalone stories with DC and not trying to make a DC <laughs> <laughs> uh, cinematic universe so she didn't have to acknowledge that justice league happened and uh and yeah maybe that's the way they'll go and that would be quite interesting seeing you know a different joker and batman every couple of years uh, from them and then marvel on the other side of the tracks you know having this you know very strict continuity it'd be nice for them to have a point of difference if nothing else i think joker has proven that that model can work for them mm. financially if not creatively well i think they believe it now as well um after all of the you know the the, the massive it played in cinemas for like six months uh yeah. when cinemas were were a thing and uh, <laughs> and you know won the academy awards and all that sort of stuff so i think that's that's the thing that they they have in the, every time they have to do a meeting with a studio exec now they can go well joke it worked for joker yeah uh, <laughs> so a nice concise answer for you there yeah <laughs> james it almost feels like we're trying to put off talking about bloodshot i don't know why that 
could possibly be. I'm just aware we've got plenty of time to fill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start talking about Bloodshot. And as I say, we're going to do a let's do a, a spoiler-free section so we can we can get some reactions because there may well be people who are on the fence about whether or not to see it. And I think we can, if we talk about it a little bit, that'll enable you to go away and decide whether you're going to watch it and then listen to the rest of the episode or not watch it and just listen to us talking about it in a spoilery way, or indeed not watch it and just turn off the episode <laughs> before the first ad break. Don't give but, them that option. Know, Come on, please don't or do find that. Choices. <laughs> so, uh, well, Sam, we'll start with. With you because as I say I, I'd seen you tweet about the film um and as I say I thought great we can let's get Sam on to talk about it um what what were your feelings after, after well I mean what were your expectations going in and then what were your feelings after watching it? Uh, we should clarify as well this is not the 2014 bloodshot film starring Danny Dyer that's a totally different <laughs> superhero that I've never heard of. Um, this is the uh, yeah. The, the, no, they were not not that, not that it, it wasn't without its unconvincing Cockney accent. Good, very good point. <laughs> we'll come to very that as point. well. Uh, this is yeah the 2020 bloodshot. Uh, the reason I wanted to see this film, and to be honest, when I first saw a trailer for this, I had no idea it was based on a comic or anything. It was just because it's Vin Diesel, and as well as loving films that are under 90 minutes long, I have a particular attraction to Vin Diesel's uh, work, especially his non-Fast and Furious films, because they're almost always terrible, but in a very watchable way, uh, <laughs> in a in a sort of like a C-grade studio picture kind of way, like made up of lots and lots and lots of sort of international companies who are all pulled together to get Vin Diesel, to be able to pay for Vin Diesel to come into the film. <laughs> um, and they're usually, I don't know why I like those films so much, but I always, I, I really do. I, <laughs> I often go to a cinema near me uh, called the Peckhamplex, which is famous uh, for selling every ticket for four ninety nine, And it's sort of where you go if you're not too sure about a film, but you think you'll get four ninety nine's worth of entertainment <laughs> from it. Um, four ninety nine so- is how much I paid for this film to rent hey. it so <laughs> um that's where i saw things like um the chronicles of riddick sequels that he did um uh and because he often between the fast and furious films he'll do a couple of sort of shonky action films uh, <laughs> and i am i'm kind of here for them um he did a i can't remember the name of it now he did a film where he played a weird like Oh, the Last Witch Hunter, where he played the Witch Hunter. <laughs> um, uh, so I saw the Last Witch Hunter there. I saw yeah the Riddick sequels there, and and yeah, I'm 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 all for those. And they're just sort of very bog standard sort of if straight to DVD films was. I guess they are still a thing, but but when I was sort of first getting into films, straight to DVD films were uh, this massive curio for me, like films that I didn't mm. see in the cinema and they're coming out now, like all the Starship mm-hmm. Trooper sequels. Yes, I'll watch those. <laughs> um, and I think I've carried that on through people like Vin Diesel who who do these, and Nick Cage does it, and John Cusack, these like low-grade uh, action films. But Vin Diesel's ones do get released in, in cinemas. And I think Bloodshot just looked like one of those, like, uh, okay, this is going to be a hopefully a enjoyable action movie uh with my good man vin diesel in and, and, I'll, and i'll have a blast and if there's anything other than it being quite entertaining then that's a huge win uh for me so yeah i sort of went into it feeling quite optimistic you know the trailer was it delivered on the vin diesel action stuff but it had some interesting looking like sci-fi elements and uh and yeah i'm, I'm just i'm here for vin it's all about vin <laughs> <laughs> So what was your opinion of the film after you'd seen it then? I mean, Vin Diesel is definitely in it. 
So one big tick. <laughs> I don't know if any uh, listeners follow Vin Diesel on Instagram, but I highly, highly recommend it. He, I think he runs his own Instagram account. One of the few Hollywood stars who actually does this because it's so bad. You wouldn't pay someone to run that for you. Um, it's bad, but it's sweet. He posts a lot of um, fan art from his films, including Bloodshot, but also Amazing. Fast and Furious and Riddick. And, and he, you can find the fan accounts that he's taking them from. And I think he just lifts people's fan art like paintings of him illustrations bad photoshop stuff and puts it on and it's all like i love my familia and and he posts it on instagram <laughs> and it's so adorable i think that's another reason why I'm, I'm quite sort of warm uh to, to vin diesel the persona of vin um so yeah big tick for having vin in uh and he's definitely in most of the film which was good <laughs> i thought the first hour or so was actually a really good sci-fi uh sort of romp uh, there was an interesting idea at its core there was a couple of rug pulls because i had no idea about this character or what he is what his mm. defining thing is supposed to be so i was like genuinely surprised when something unusual happened it wasn't sort of like watching the clock like okay he's going to get his magic powers in three two one or oh that's the guy who puts the thing in that makes the whatever he does happen um I do think it descended into a very bog standard action film towards the end and I got a bit bored and I fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> but because I paid for a 48 hour rental, I got to rewatch the uh, I got to watch the sort of last Which 40 minutes or so the next morning. Which couldn't have done if it was in the cinema. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, lockdown does strange things to us all. And, and I was falling asleep on the sofa about eight o'clock um, after watching an hour of this film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the straight to DVD point is interesting because I think if it's... I, I mean, I think if this film had gone straight to DVD, for starters, it might have solved what what I think is one of the biggest problems with it, and one of the things that because what I, what I kind of felt about it was there's potentially a quite interesting film here, and they kind of forget to actually put most of the interesting stuff in the film. They sort of hint at the more interesting film underneath it but they kind of left in the boring stuff by mistake. And the part of what I think is the biggest problem is, uh, you know, they this was intended to be the launching off point for the Valiant Comics cinematic universe. This was like the first Valiant Comics adaptation. They'd finally got to screen after all of these years, and they've got Vin Diesel, and everyone knows who Vin Diesel is. So here's their big movie. And... Obviously, coronavirus happens and completely kills it at the box office. But I think even without that, I think it was already going to fail. But because they were doing this push for it to be the big cinematic release, I didn't even realise this, this until going in, and it surprised me. And I only realised about half an hour or so in what I was watching um, that this was a PG-13 and a, and a 12A in the UK. I was assuming that this was going to be massively violent and bloody and over the top because of because it's about a guy who gets killed and resurrected as a, a killing machine mercenary and it's Vin Diesel and the character's called Bloodshot. I assumed that it was going to... Be, and also it's by the guy who directed Kick-Ass 2. It's, at least it's written by him, it's not directed by him, but it's co-written by Jeff Wadlow who, who directed Kick-Ass 2. So I was expecting lots of violence that never came because it's a PG-13. I don't even think I saw a drop of blood in the film <laughs> at any point, despite all the shooting that Despite the on. name. Um, mm. Yeah. And obviously, it's that way because they wanted as many people as possible to see it at the cinema. But I think if it had gone straight to DVD, 
they probably, well, DVD, you know what I mean, straight to, to streaming or whatever, it probably would have been R-rated. And I think it would have had... The, and it's rare that I say that I think a film should be more <laughs> violent and gory because I'm a massive wuss. But I think this film was crying out for some imaginative and visceral action and violence that it just doesn't have. It just... And so that side of it just ended up feeling... As an action film, it's just incredibly flat um it's got interesting again potentially interesting elements in terms of the the twist and the sort of reveal about the character which we'll we'll talk about in spoiler section uh and it's not even something where like knowing about the comics would help you going in because as far as i know from the limited amount that i know about the character this stuff doesn't come from the comics yeah no the 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 thing Um, we are talking about the big reveal of the premise is not from the comics it is purely an invention of the script Mm. Um, but basically, I just think it ended up being very mediocre. It's it's definitely not like egregiously, insultingly bad. I, don't, I mean, I, I'm not super keen on Vin Diesel's performance, to be honest. I think it's a very, it feels like a recent Bruce Willis kind of performance <laughs> in the sense of like, he just really doesn't sound like he wants to be there at any point, which is a difficult thing when you're trying to hang your big franchise on somebody. Um, but I don't think there's anything about it that makes me go, oh, this is, this is awful. It's, I never sat there going, this is awful. It's a coherent story, right? Which is more than a lot of films have given us recently yeah exactly it's it's coherent it's yeah um i mean i do think that the central premise has a bit of a big glaring problem with it but it's the kind of thing that you overlook if you're enjoying the film and the film's good the the fact that the premise doesn't actually make sense because they could achieve what they're trying to achieve much more easily without the incredibly complicated thing (laughs) do you mean just get someone to volunteer for the procedure (laughs) Yes, yeah. basically. No, well, to, or just to, just to volunteer to kill the people who they need to kill. Right? <laughs> but anyway, we'll come to that. <laughs> um, it's true. It's like they've got two. Like, anyway, I'm not going to go into it because it is spoilery. But they've got two guys yeah. right there. They could just do it. Two very efficient people. Anyway, yeah, yeah two incredibly willing accomplices. Yeah, that's fair. Like, anyway, we are getting into spoilers because that is part of the twist reveal. Those guys. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's 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 fine. It doesn't do anything wrong, but also I, I don't feel like I'll remember very much about it in a while because it as i say what it was really lacking was something imaginative and and exciting that it does it's ju- it's just it's just there it's just fine um, see when yeah. i when i <laughs> saw that the film was coming out i the bet i made with myself was this will be virtually impossible to tell from a non-comic book movie like there will be so little in it that reflects the comic that it might as well have just been an original property um, I think actually it, it aimed slightly higher than that. Certainly towards the end, I was like, this is quite comic booky in that stuff was happening that just had no grounding in reality. <laughs> like the, um, <laughs> you know, the, the fight at the end was very much, this is a comic book fight where mm. it wasn't just two guys with guns fighting each other. Which is kind of what I expected. Yeah, and it's and they they lean into something very specific and and comic booky visual. Yeah, exactly. From that, don't they? <laughs> and I was I was I was expecting it to be essentially like a sort of Universal Soldier straight to DVD sequel, like that kind of that mm. level of of sci fi, and it it was a bit more than that. Mm. As it was, I think. See, I actually think the opening hour is probably the dullest. It. <sighs> Maybe 40 minutes, maybe the first 40, 45 minutes 
is where I just felt like this is exactly the film I was expecting. And then there's a little bit of a plot twist. And then they get a bit more ambitious with the characters and, you know, introduce some new people quite late on um, that changes up what the film is like. And when that started, I sort of perks up a bit. My feeling is the opening should have been a lot shorter and the back half of the movie should have been the bulk of the movie. I, I also feel there's a very, very short kind of section that's the where, that's the germ of something where I think if the whole film was that, it would be a much more interesting film. And what it and it's the bit, it's the moment that I reached in the film where I tweeted when I was watching it, wow, this is this is like Deus Ex Human Revolution. And it's the it's it's when he and this isn't really a spoiler because it is part of the premise, it's when he first gets brought back. And he's surrounded by people who have augmentations. And Guy Pearce's character has got a robotic arm that looks exactly the same aesthetic as Deus Ex. And some of the other characters have got like bionic parts that look exactly like they've come out of the Deus Ex games. And I love Deus Ex Human Revolution. I love the aesthetic of those games. I, would, I talked about it a bit on when we did um, uh, Battle Angel. Is it a Battle Angel? Elite Battle, Battle Angel. Elite Battle Angel. Uh, when we did that it was a similar thing of it's that part of things that i found myself really interested in and if the film had gone on from there to be about transhumanism basically there could have been something really interesting but it doesn't actually end up exploring that at all and it was a shame because i was like oh for about five minutes i was imagining a deus ex human revolution movie adaptation Vin Diesel wouldn't be very well cast as as Adam Jensen, but otherwise, you know, Guy Pearce would be perfectly cast as David Sarif. Like, he literally, at that point in the film, he was literally playing David Sarif, and it was great. But then it goes into being something else that I didn't find as interesting. It does have a a video game sort of logic to it. Uh, And I think I mean that as a compliment, Mm. um, in that I... There are there's a particular set of rules the character has to follow, um, and mm. and you as a viewer get to understand those rules quite quickly. It's almost like if he uses his special attack too much, he overheats. Is that sort <laughs> yeah, of um, completely? It's a hundred percent. I, I yeah, kind of yeah. I did I yeah. sort, I've quite enjoyed the sort of I don't know if it's a nod intentionally to video games, but it felt like uh, it shared some biology with a video game sort of narrative and, and gameplay structure uh, and as a big nerd i really enjoyed that <laughs> <laughs> no i go mean, yeah I, I think probably the the main thing is that it and even just in terms of it being a very mediocre action film everything about it screams video game adaptation rather than comic book adaptation and it feels like it's probably sits alongside a lot of other very middling video game adaptations um well, okay. Should we? I think have we uh, have we covered non-spoilery opinions enough that we could actually get into talking about some of the detail of the film and that massive, massive <laughs> twist. Yeah, I think I if think people have ready. listened to this point and they haven't seen the film yet, I I would you know if you're <laughs> even if you're a tiny bit curious um, and you've got a few pounds to spare, it's like four ninety nine to rent at the moment on most of the rental places. I'd I'd give it a go if you like a you know kind of a no brainer sort of action movie. Um, you know, this is the film for you. <laughs> i think recommendations definitely take on a different uh feel at this time because the the demands on everybody's time are so different and and the amount that people are looking for things to watch is so greatly increased that i think yeah in in normal circumstances i would i would almost certainly say if you're going to watch this wait until it's on sky cinema but 
I think if you're looking for something that that will that will take up an evening and you won't come out feeling like you've hated it, then 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 rent this. And that sounds like the biggest backhanded compliment ever. But <laughs> all right, are we going to play the trailer? Let's play the trailer then. Yes, so you can find out a little bit more about what it's about. But I assume they obfuscated lots of stuff in the trailer, uh, and then we'll come back and talk in spoilery detail. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And initiate sequence. Gina, I'm home. Memories are what is this place? I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you got yourself killed at RST. We'd rebuild the most important assets in the US military. Soldiers like yourself. You're the first who we've successfully managed to bring back. But improved, enhanced. With the technology in your veins, you have an army inside you that will not only make you stronger, it will heal you instantly. Holy shit. Now tell me, do you remember anything? Where are you going? I've got unfinished business. I'm going to find the man who murdered my wife and kill him. Oh, that's not good. All right, shut him down. And initiate sequence. Okay, who is the next target for elimination? Tell me, do you remember anything? Do I know you guys? I don't think so. They've <laughs> been manipulating you. What you think is real. Sometimes ain't. And initiate sequence. about men like me. That is absolutely fantastic. I feel like I just heard this. Are they playing this on repeat? Okay, so, uh, yeah, you can now freely talk about 
elements of the plot uh, in a in a spoilery way. So, so, so shall we start with that big reveal? Yes, let's. The bit that explains why the first 45 <laughs> minutes of the film have been one giant action movie cliche. <laughs> yeah, which unfortunately the film... The film critiques the fact that those opening 40 minutes were a massive cliche but a they still were and b the film carries yeah. on being massively cliched for the remainder of its yeah. running time <laughs> you can't really have your cake and eat it in that sense i don't think unless you're really playing with the cliches and i don't think it i mean we we say the film um, is just stuffed with cliches it did have a fight that took place entirely in a piece of scenery that was filled with flour, which I don't think I've ever seen. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. That was an absolutely mad choice. I couldn't figure out why they made it at all. It's like, um, it reminded me of those in, they, they, they do this in the Naked Gun film, but, you know, people walking across a pane of glass um, or like a box of chickens or something in the middle of an <laughs> yeah. action scene. And yeah, like you see the flower truck driving yes. into the tunnel <laughs> before being turned upside down and shot and then everybody being covered in flour. I really enjoyed that. We, um, yeah, I, I was watching it with my wife and we both sort of turned to each other and was like, never seen that before. Yeah, I was, I was genuinely watching it going like, why, what is the point of this? Like, what is it? creative reason they have done this and i just i could not figure it out at all it's really annoying as well because we really really want to buy some flour and they're just wasting it in this movie. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> in the in the coronavirus inflicted times when groceries are scarce they they filled a room with flour and didn't use it Ugh. So that sequence comes before we've had the revelation of of what the true nature of things is. It, it's part of that cliched opening forty minutes or so. Although at least, as you say, it is it's mildly more interesting visually. Um, but we uh, we're introduced to I can't even remember his name. But it's Ray, Ray Garrison, Garrison. Yep. John Army. <laughs> John Army, <laughs> an army man who is doing army things in, in Africa, who's on a hostage mission and succeeds in a hostage mission. It doesn't even go badly wrong. And he goes home to his wife, played by the two-time Mrs. Elon Musk, Tallulah Riley, <laughs> um, from off of St. Trinian's and Doctor Who that time. Um, and yeah, he has an incredibly cliched wife who he's very happy with. And then he and his wife get kidnapped by Toby Kebble, who at this point is doing an Australian accent for some reason, but then later in the film, I couldn't figure out if he was still doing an Australian accent because later in the film, his personality is completely different. So he's doing a completely different... Well, it's not actually Toby Kebbell in that sequence, right? So... <laughs> well, yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> well, it isn't, but that's the thing. But it's, I still don't understand why he's doing an Australian accent at that point. Uh, but he gets kidnapped by by a, a, a psychopathic mercenary fellow mercenary or no because because thing is not a mercenary is he is a soldier anyway who uh is trying to find out why he was sent on this rescue mission he doesn't know so him and his wife get murdered by this guy who has introduced himself by in absolutely the most cliched moment of the film and that's the moment where the film later massively hangs a lamp on the fact that it's being cliched he introduces himself by dancing in a meat locker joker style to psycho killer by the talking heads 
Uh, I mean, that point in the film, I was like, I was, my eyes were so far rolling back in my head at this character's introduction. And at least the film says later, yes, you were supposed to find that annoying. But at the time, it's still pretty damn annoying. You sort of can't believe it's happening, but at the same time, it is a really good song. <laughs> that's and, and that's the like, thing. It's yeah, it's okay. such a great. Because it's yeah, I was I was genuinely much. watching that sequence, going like, <laughs> well, even if this film turns out to be shit, at least I heard the Talking Heads for a little bit. <laughs> um but yeah so he gets murdered uh his wife is murdered he's then resurrected um as part of a scientist played by guy pierce's um experimental something or other uh he has special nanite technology that effectively keeps rebuilding him and giving him superpowers i mean i i got lost on some of the specifics of exactly what he could and couldn't do but basically he hadn't we all know what nanites are these days they've been around in sci-fi for a long time he's got you know, Tony Stark's got them these days. You know, well, he's not now he's dead, but, you know, they didn't bring him back to life. Um, so he can keep getting rebuilt by these nanites, and it basically turns him into a super soldier. And then he finds where the guy who killed him and his wife is, and he goes and hunts him down and kills him. Um, and then when he gets back, uh, his memory gets wiped because it turns out that the memory that he had of the guy killing him and his wife was completely false and implanted. Uh, because Guy Pierce, for some reason, having created this super soldier, in order to get this super soldier to kill a load of other people who he needs to kill, has to have this incredibly elaborate setup of giving him a false memory of being kidnapped and murdered and his wife murdered, and then being rescued and brought back to life, and then going through a rigmarole with with the nice one of the other soldiers, who's called, for reasons that I think are never explained, is called K. KT, but and she actually says no, it's initials KT, as if that then somehow you know, makes like, a difference like K9. Anything in the <laughs> film. Yeah. <laughs> like Katie Tunstall. So so it, so basically he's 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 befriended by Katie Tunstall. <laughs> um and she has to go through this rigmarole that helps to rebuild his personality and trigger the memory that makes him go off and kill this this person. And it transpires that the two other soldiers who he's been pally with are actually murderous assholes who think he's a complete knob and like are, are voluntarily taking part in this constant resetting of his memory. And that was the point where I went, well, hang on, can't you just send those two guys to kill all the guys that you're trying to kill? It does. It does feel like the why film is does missing, it need this elaborate? It does feel like the film was missing an explanation of why. Why is Ray Garrison the guy who gets these nanites? Like, what makes him yeah. better than anyone else? Literally anyone else. There is even a point where they're like, "Oh, let's just get rid of him." Like. The US makes dead soldiers every day. Let's get one of those. <laughs> I guess there is an implication that for whatever reason, he was such a good soldier that he made a good candidate for for being rebuilt. But the problem is we never see that aspect of his life because we we find one of the things we find out later in the film is when when he when he when he finds out the truth and he leaves and he goes to find his his wife because his wife's actually alive he finds out that she left him five years ago and has started a family of her own. And again, that was, that was quite a, as a reveal, that was quite good because it kind of undercut from him the whole, I need to go and get my wife back. I'm angry because I thought my wife got murdered kind of thing. But equally, all it said to us was, we, we've never seen who you were before you got picked up by them and turned into this super soldier. We've never actually seen the real 
Ray Garrison. We don't know what you were like as a soldier. We don't, as you say, James, we don't know the circumstances of why he got picked up and transformed the first time. Because the what's I was going to say implication, it's not even an implication, it's outright stated. That first sequence that we see is not the first time. It's not the first false memory. He's been doing this over and over again. It's, you know... Uh, it's your your good place, <laughs> Groundhog Day <laughs> scenario. Yeah, but so it's just a bit. I mean, it's it's as I say. I, I, what I feel about it is the moment of the reveal is like, oh, that's a really nice hook. That's a really nice twist. And then you think about it for too long, and that's when it kind of falls apart. <laughs> I didn't mind so much it was him because yeah, he was he was a super army soldier at some point, and that's why he's been <laughs> selected. But um, but yeah, you're right. The you know, I think rigmarole is the right word. Um, it's just of having him in, you, every time they have to get him in this situation where he feels like because it's not even like he's following um, Guy Pierce's scientist orders at the time. He's like, you know, don't do this. You've got to do my mission. But um, every time he thinks he's breaking the programming by going to seek revenge on the guys yeah. who killed his wife, that was the bit. I was like, really? <laughs> Can I mean, he just I... like you know, like send him to do it? <laughs> I sort of think if they yeah. if they were going to do that, they should have really lent into it and said, like, you know, the problem we have is that these these soldiers can't be controlled. So we have to make them think that they're doing it of their own free will like that. That I would have bought as a premise, but they don't they don't address it at all. It was just purely for like so that to be a thrill for the audience, like, oh, Vin Diesel's breaking his programming for that first time around. Um, mm-hmm. And it just felt like it was it's just kind of a cheap trick. It's withholding information from the audience for no story reason whatsoever other than that will be an exciting sequence the first time yeah. we see it. Uh, but I did I, I did sort of admire how long the film took to sort of <laughs> reveal all of this stuff because I think it's about 45 <laughs> minutes or so before he gets like hard reset um, and you learn everything. And it really stuck to that, that sort of illusion uh, for the audience for such a long time. <laughs> and also, after the audience find it out, he he doesn't know because he gets his memory reset. We have to go through watching him do the whole thing again, this time knowing the truth, while he still doesn't know the truth because he doesn't find it out for another 20 minutes or so. See, it, it sort of feels to me like if you're going to do that, the twist needs to come very early on. Because like, it's the standard thing, right? You need to... When you do a heist movie, you... You always show them doing a mini heist that goes fine, and then you show them a big. You show them doing a bigger heist that goes wrong. It should have had that structure. As it was, they did the big bit small and the small bit big. Mm. Like they spent way too long. The only thing that made me think, oh, there's clearly something else going on here, is that he gets to the like final boss guy so quickly, and you're mm. like, well, we're not even halfway through the film. He's and just he's killed just the killed baddie. The baddie. So clearly, like, something else is happening. Yeah. But. There was a. I actually did say because that's in the flowery tunnel. It's like there's <laughs> no way he's going to kill the guy now. I'm looking at my watch. I'm still yeah. awake at this point. What's going on? <laughs> um, so there was a few. You know, there's a few <laughs> seconds of you going like, "What? What is this film going to be now? Like, yeah. he's done everything, and there's another hour left on my rental." <laughs> <laughs> on um just as well on, on what you said about the, the obviously yeah that sequence where it's like oh he's breaking out and guy pierce is like going to him over the radio what are you doing where are you going um i found it quite amusing that you get later in the film you get him doing that again and 
at that point, like because we know that at this point they're going through the motions, all of a sudden Guy Pierce says it in a really going through the motions way. And it's it's obviously not intentional, but I like the idea that like he's been perfectly convincing with that little that little vignette every single time but he's finally got bored of it this one time that we're watching and it's like that 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 change has happened like literally between those two occurrences i just liked the um sort of greek chorus in the background where he was going what are you doing and the guy's like man this guy's such a prick or whatever like the other, the other dude. <laughs> that was that was that was quite a nice little sequence, actually. Yeah, seeing it from the perspective of yeah, seeing it yeah, from the other perspective yeah. was fun. That's that's weird as well because it's got so so in that sequence we've got a character who is the sort of the the techie nerd who's sort of commenting on it all and who's the guy who put the scenario together with all. That's where they talk about how oh, this is all a massive cliche and stuff. But then the film introduces a completely different techie nerd to be his sidekick, all of a sudden, having literally, this is what you talk, presumably what you were talking about before, James, about characters suddenly mm-hmm. being introduced over an hour into the film. Um, Lamorne Morris, who's, uh, what's his name? Uh, Winston. Winston from New Girl, shows up with an English accent, which, now, to be fair, he actually does a pretty good job. It's a bit hokey in places. I looked up whether he was actually English and he had been playing American in, the new, in New Girl. Because I couldn't fully yeah. tell. There were bits of me going, well, this is this accent is drifting a bit, but it could mean he's mm. from Brighton. But, but, but British actors yeah, exactly. drift when they're in American things quite a lot. He could be from Brighton trying to play London or something. That's that's what it felt like. But no, he's, yeah. he is American and he does a good English accent. But I don't know why he's <laughs> doing an English accent. There's no explanation. <laughs> I think for the same reason in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, Idris Elba turns up doing a French accent. He was just yeah. like, can I play this English? And they went or whatever. <laughs> We're not getting paid enough to care. <laughs> but it's, uh, there is, I mean, I, I genuinely, I almost posed this question and I thought I'll save it for the podcast. Where is this film set? <laughs> because there's a lot of people with English accents, but there are a lot of Americans when they're on the streets um, running around and, and r- driving around cars, the cars all seem to have like Eastern European number plates. That sequence, right? Sometimes they have Eastern European number plates. Sometimes they have English number plates. You look at the road signs, they are definitely UK road signs. I was like, and the, the housing. Oh, so maybe it is supposed to be. So it is supposed to be in the UK. But why and how is it in the UK? What's that got to do with anything? And then at the end, when they're they're in that sequence in the lift, I was pretty sure at one point I could see the Patronus Towers, which are in Malaysia in the background. Unless there's another building that looks quite like the Patronus Twin Towers, I just couldn't get a handle on the geography at all. It's like they just decided to. I genuinely think they they filmed all over the place. They definitely went to East Sussex at one point. <laughs> there was a caption saying East Sussex, and I was like, okay, accurate. They, uh, they, 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 because I was, I mean, we should talk about the sequence in quote unquote London, um, <laughs> uh, because there's so much joy there. But, um, but yeah, they, they shot it. I was confused. I thought it was supposed to be like somewhere like, you know, quite like you know where there's lots of money you know like maybe somewhere in china and this was like a big like tech district or something but the film never tells us even though it tells us everywhere else they go but then they shot it most of it in south africa with extra shooting in bulgaria and (laughs) in the czech republic uh so i mean it but i I don't think it ever consciously takes place in any of those places they're all doubling up for for things yeah Um, probably for like you know yeah and they're all places where lots of films are shot um because 
they have great filmmaking facilities and, and stuff. But uh, but yeah, the, the location stuff really, really confused me. I did. I found it genuinely distracting during that, <laughs> that action sequence where they're trying to chase him down and hitting him with a truck and stuff. I was just going like, where is this? Because it, it doesn't look like the UK and it doesn't look like America, but it's also bits of it look like the UK and bits of it look like America. So you just could not place it anywhere. <laughs> I guess a lot of um, action films are quite globe trotting, you know. Like they like to have the, you know, mm. like, you know money is no option, uh, object, and you can get on a plane to wherever. But if they're going to do that, they always tell you where they are, and they do that in this film for a bit, but not at the beginning. Yeah, you, where were the big captions <laughs> saying where we were? <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because like a lot of places are doing that because they can get like tax deals by going there, or because they can. Mm you know, get a boost from having a sequence in China with, you know, Chinese audiences or whatever. And like, that's fine. That's part of the business. This one is doing it for no reason that I can understand. It's very strange. And it, I mean, if they were doing, but I think, I think if, if you're going to do this, you, you need to almost, I don't know if you kind of refer to it or you, I, I, I don't mind films doing a sort of almost a generic, like it's, it's not set anywhere in the real world because it's, comic booky so it's set in a fictional comic booky location you know i think i think it would be all right if it was doing that but i'm not sure if it is you know and that's why when you get things like mixtures of accents in things it's the 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 movie comparison i would make is that i always come back to is willy wonka and the chocolate <laughs> factory which seems to be set exactly in the center of the atlantic ocean <laughs> because it's like everything is half english half american and it works for the world that it's created and i think you can get away with that and it's like if you've got a film that is set in somewhere where they just call it the city and like the city is a bit New York and a bit LA and you know a bit London and sort of everything kind of mashed together. But um, yeah, here I think it's just the film is set wherever it looks like it is at a given time because they just happen to be there, <laughs> and it doesn't really matter. Well, there is, I mean, the the thing I guess because it's close to our hearts. But uh, when when they have a you know they have the B roll of the River Thames and it says London on the screen. <laughs> Um, I've become quite obsessed with this recently. <laughs> Lots of films I've been watching at home have had have had that almost a very similar insert in of the Thames, and it says London. Um, and then and then the rest of what is supposed to be London in that sequence looks absolutely nothing like London. But there's no story reason mm. for the film to even be in London at that point. Um, like his wife mm. or his former wife has a British accent, um, so she's in London. But yeah. it, like if you can't find a location that can you know, reasonably double for London. Just say she lives in Prague now or South Africa or Bulgaria yeah. or wherever. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, at, I'm actually just looking at actually, and actually Wikipedia has actually pointed out a few locations that I think I just missed the movie actually referencing that it was. So so actually that Rising Spirit Lab is supposed to be in Kuala Lumpur. So that's why I could okay. see the Patronus Towers. Don't remember a dialogue reference to Kuala Lumpur at all. Uh, When he goes to kill the second of the guys that he goes to kill, uh, that's in East Sussex. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I totally (laughs) missed that. And then, yeah, when he discovers his wife, that's in Westminster. Apparently, he started a family in Westminster. <laughs> Who starts a family in Westminster? Nobody lives in Westminster. <laughs> yeah, she must. She's maybe got good, uh, a good council house there. And then thinking about the car chase that happens after she, he meets her, like it, it is no way. I, me and my wife were going like, are they supposed to be in like LA or something? Like it doesn't look anything like Britain at all. It's yeah, long straight roads. Yeah, it has those like weird back to back houses with tiny alleys between them, and you're like, this isn't, this is not in any way England. 
lots of like bungalow sort of looking houses <laughs> uh, you're right yeah and those weird alleyways which you see in like american crime films yeah yeah are really good for people running down <laughs> <laughs> but they have one black cab drive past him when he knocks on his <laughs> wife's store which they must have bought on ebay or something and then they have one well, a police car, but it doesn't look like a British police car. Yeah, the, um, the policemen are wearing <laughs> big uh, bulletproof vests that say police on them. And then he reaches in and grabs an assault rifle off one of them. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but- yeah, just just like the UK police. <laughs> but in the dubbing, they've done a, someone goes, oh, blimey, Gov. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That brought us endless joy, I have to say, I, even though it wasn't very good. Um, we, I really, really, really enjoyed that. And that's kind of what I come to a Vin Diesel, you know, in between Fast and Furious on for, um, you know, some of this sort of shonky logic, um, <laughs> but still some, you know, ro- rip roaring action. <laughs> well, let's, since you mentioned him, let, let's talk about Vin, because you you said, you know, that going in that you're very much here for these uh, these Vin Diesel vehicle action film <laughs> diesel vehicles um i have to admit for this entire film i really struggled to see what remote appeal there was in hanging a film like this on vin diesel because there is i mean i'm not saying vin diesel doesn't have any charisma because i've seen it in other things but by gum i don't think there's any <laughs> on show here. he's one of those action stars and it is often action stars uh, but not always where he's basically playing himself tom cruise is doing it as well um they're playing a persona like he is playing the on-screen version of vin diesel which you know he's honed over the years through fast and furious and riddick and you know all of the other sort of stuff Mm. (laughs) he's not very versatile at all (laughs) but i i think that's why i like watching it i think i i I don't know what it is there's something that's quite interesting about watching a a film an actor you know just doing the thing they do and all of the film is sort of built around you know well we need to let vin do his vin diesel thing uh which is you know sort of i guess quite good combat very kind of crappy line delivery but always quite light-hearted um he over the years he's sort of become more and more like his on-screen uh fast and furious character in other films he's just sort of bringing dom toretto even down to like the vests that he wears in this film and i do wonder if vin just has in his contract that he he'll only wear vests on screen because he's been <laughs> you know working out his guns and he wants to show them off uh it was just basically what he wears in every fast and furious film which is weird because i thought maybe he just is a vest mm-hmm. guy he doesn't like sleeves but then watching press junket footage for bloodshot he's wearing lovely long sleeved sweaters <laughs> t-shirts so again it's only an on-screen thing that you get to see the guns yeah um, there but uh yeah i sort of and it, he's awkward in this role i i don't think he's very well cast at all for this character apart from you know like sure he plays a convincing killing machine but I'm sure there's a whole load of people who could do that and also do the emotional turbulence that this character is supposed to have suffered again and again and again. And I would have loved <laughs> to have seen an actor who who could have actually you know, like played something with the, um, you know, having to relive this trauma again and again and again. And it's sort of like slowly wearing him down. You don't really see that at all with Vin <laughs> that, <laughs> that is a very good point. I, where I was watching this film at points going like, you know, he's just found out his entire life is a lie. And it's like... It's like he went to the shop and there wasn't milk and he doesn't care. It's like an inconvenience. He's just like, uh, every, everything, you took everything from me, but uh, fine, I guess. He does sort of like one to a hundred really well, but there's no nuance in between. <laughs> he, does, he also says like, 
they they explain what they've been doing or something and why they were doing it and he goes like by making me relive mm. like my wife dying over and over and you're like yeah but you don't seem to have been that bothered by it to be honest <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's on a very even keel throughout it's um quite rare yeah. in this film you see early on you see him in a love scene with his uh his his wife and mm. you don't often see that Vin Diesel doing that on screen at all um uh you know probably for a number of reasons um the mental image is a bit gross <laughs> particularly when you look up the age <laughs> i don't difference. think he's got the you know, it's not it's not his area of expertise he doesn't you know he's great at action and doing stunts and and you know being quite a macho guy but he's not i don't know he's he just can't sell a relationship i don't think so i sort of it was nice to sort of see that side of him um <laughs> even though it was a bit weird and i was and very unfamiliar for me as a vin diesel uh fan I guess I'm saying all of this. I'm still a fan of watching him do these things. And I love that, you know, he's trying to do <laughs> this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it felt like quite poor casting in, in this case. I did. Um, when when they have that scene with his wife, I sort of thought part of me, I didn't realize at the time that it was a PG-13 movie. And part of me was like, OK, is this going to be like the gratuitous nudity scene that, you know, these kind of action mm. movies have? And then it didn't happen. And I was sort of mentally praising it for not going there but it turns out it was a rating thing it's because it was a feature yeah i mean i guess that <laughs> that sort of thing has fallen out of favor a lot like it used to be if you watched watched an action movie of this kind there would be some gratuitous nudity about you know 45 50 minutes in just so they could say look this is a film aimed at men here are some breasts it used to happen a lot more than it did it does. No, you, you're right. I mean, it used to be like a checkbox thing. Um, you know, uh, Bruce Willis or Nick Cage or whoever would have to have had a love scene with uh, the female lead. And yeah. I think Vin, Vin has been, he's often playing like, I guess, a superhuman or a, a, a magical sort of character who... Yeah, you know, doesn't have any or a, tree, <laughs> or a tree who doesn't need to have a human kind of relationship um in it because uh, mm. i guess because he doesn't really you know his on-screen presence he doesn't look like a real human you know he is this heightened uh, masculine <laughs> figure um so i you know then that's kind of him playing uh, to his strengths it's like casting arnie as a as a robot um you know it's playing <laughs> to the actor's strengths but i don't want to see a love scene with arnie um and i think Vin yeah. kind of falls in into that mode so it, it was sort of interesting to see as a bit of an experiment um <laughs> but I, I don't know if it really works <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it does kind of feel like you could have entirely cut Tallulah riley's character out of the film and just have him be annoyed that the guy had killed yeah. him <laughs> yeah and that he was going after him for his revenge that is quite annoying him. you know and 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 i don't think he would have reacted to anything else in the film any differently or anything else would have played out any differently but yeah i think it's a i mean as i you know as i said before you know i i can't see the sort of the appeal of hanging a film like this off. I, I can definitely see and and from what you've said about like his other work and stuff that i can see why you would think that he's maybe the go-to guy for this but i think for this to be the more interesting film it could have been i think the character of ray kind of needed to be a bit weirder and it's like if you look at him in the comics and he's obviously got that much more distinct look he's got the the white skin and you know the the red chest thing you know we only kind of get that when it's sort of he's in that overclock mode at the end of the film and it's a shame because i think i mean I don't want to say it would have been better with the originally cast person, <laughs> uh, which is that, uh, for those who don't know, this was originally set up with Jared Leto <laughs> as the lead. But I think a Jared Leto type, maybe not Jared Leto, but maybe like a, a 
Jake Gyllenhaal, like a like a better Jared Leto. I could see it being far more interesting with someone who's capable of being a bit weird and kind of taking the because this I think part of the issue is like this character should be absolutely broken in the head when he finds out. And he should go nuts. And it's what should kind of turn him into being bloodshot is that he should just be like, well, this is completely screwed with my head. So this is my life now. I'm going to be this gun-toting maniac. And we never get that. It's the the reveal just doesn't really affect him, like you said. You know, I don't know if Vin has could convey that sort of complexity like you know he's a great actor for many reasons but not for you know emotional nuance um and it would have been so much Mm. better if they had an actor who can really sell those moments and you know stunt doubles and all you know do the action scenes anyway so it doesn't really matter you know he doesn't have to be a big guy uh to do this he's an enhanced super soldier it's like you know in robocop you know murphy isn't Mm. you know this ripped guy he's just a guy um and and then he you know he deals mm-hmm. with with that so yeah i would have liked him a bit more of an everyman sort of looking guy still obviously a great has to convey being a good soldier at one point in his life um but yeah gyllenhaal would have been would have been i'm really into that that fantasy casting for this um definitely would have watched that <laughs> there aren't many things that i don't think you could improve by putting jake <laughs> gyllenhaal in them to be honest but <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to any of the sort of if it was you know my job to recast this. It wouldn't. I wouldn't look to your typical action guys. It would just be you know who is mm. a an actor who can sell the, this hugely traumatic experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> and CGI will do the action anyway, so it's cool. <laughs> mm. What What do we think about Bloodshot's actual powers, such that uh, they exist? <laughs> Loosely defined? I'm still trying to think about what they are. He's really good at killing, mm. but that's because he was a good soldier. Yeah, he doesn't um, really use his powers to kill, does he? He just, he uses guns to kill when he gets to the person. He, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's the healing, I guess, element is is what really, you know, it lets him carry on you know, plowing through stuff and getting his face shot and still walking towards people. There are some quite gruesome moments, actually, when I think it's in that flower tunnel scene where he gets like half his face shot off. Yeah, he gets shot in the face. And then it, um, and then it, <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that cool was, little, that stuff is yeah. quite striking. Um, but, uh, mm. yeah, not enough gore to, to push it up a rating. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't really tell you his powers other than he, he, well, he can't die, I guess. Well, they they say like, oh, he's his blood has been replaced by nanites, but then they keep like shutting off the nanites, and he doesn't die. So is that is that what they did? His blood can't have been replaced by them because there's a point right at the very end with Guy Pierce's character. Who, I can't remember Guy Pierce's character. He's Guy <laughs> Pierce, the scientist, Doctor Emil Harting, apparently, and his little thing on his robot arm says that the nanite level is zero, and that's why he why he thinks he's won, but what he doesn't realize is. Vindy's is willing to blow himself up at that point but it's like the nanite level going to zero doesn't kill him it just means he doesn't have his powers anymore it's like so they can't have replaced his blood <laughs> yeah but then also being exploded doesn't kill him even though his nanite level is zero no it do, it does kill him but but your man brings it winston brings him yeah, back yeah but he he still comes back right <laughs> yeah but because he he gets the same technology applied to him again yeah basically. i don't know yeah. I feel like if you're going to explode someone and like he just got he just got shot before he didn't get exploded. Yeah, true. But well, well, well no, we don't know how he died. He didn't get shot before, uh, yeah. did he? Because that was a false memory. That is we a very we don't good know point, how yeah. he died. 
he he died enough to need to be rebuilt by nanites, and the nanites can reconstruct a face when it gets half blown <laughs> off, as it did yeah. earlier in the film. So, no, my my assumption was just basically it was his tech that they were using, wasn't it? And yeah, was it? I mean that's the really convoluted was, 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 was like it? revenge story underlying this. It's like Guy Pierce has stolen mm. the technology from some people he worked with, um, who also stole it from uh, <laughs> Wilfred Wiggins. Wilfred like, Wiggins, yeah, um, who Wilfred is introduced Wiggins. over an hour into the film and is actually a really major character. <laughs> yeah. But he has, I mean, I yeah. think the joy of, of that role is, you know, they know how long, how many pages it is before he has a line. And like, when you come on screen, mm. you absolutely have to make an impact. And I think that's why <laughs> we get this very energetic performance uh, from him. He is the best character in the film. I right? think he's one of the mm. best. He is. The he's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, he's, he livens up the film when he he's comes good in. He's good fun. He's memorable. Mm. He is original. He's the thing that makes you possibly want to see the sequel because the sequel is, okay, now he's bloodshot and this is his mate. This is his guy in the chair. Your classic tech support character. I want to see a whole film with him as the guy in the chair. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, a whole film's probably pushing it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to see a (laughs) 20-minute short with him. I mean, they even have the bit where they're doing the, like, driving off into the sunset bit and... His character is like yammering over with some ADR where they clearly went, people don't believe the emotion of this film. Let's mm. let's stick in some comedy. I just I, I really like that character. I think that character should be in a better film <laughs> is my takeaway from Bloodshot. I don't know if there were things like reshoots or, or anything like that on this film, but it, it did feel like a film that had <laughs> like either like a you know a drastic edit or, or lots of reshoots in because it just because the pacing felt off. Yeah, I think you're right. The, I mean the thing I, I took from it is that Jeff Wadlow was writing a script and about 40 pages in went, you know what, this is dumb. I'm just going to write a script that entertains me. (laughs) And so he checked out the premise, started mocking the premise and then put in a character who he liked. And like having delivered that script, they went, okay, yeah. And he was like, what? Okay. I mean, another character who I think it introduces, who it kind of threatens to do something interesting is is Katie Tunstall, who's played by Aza Gonzalez, who who was in Alita Battle Angel, although I don't remember the character. I was about to say, actually, do you you want to quickly go through the alternative comic book films that everyone in this cast has seen? So we've got... So... Vin Diesel, obviously, who, as we know, is... Do we have to say it? <laughs> yeah. He is Groot. <laughs> Commit to the bit. <laughs> he is Groot. So, Isaac Gonzalez, <laughs> yeah. who, as you're about to say, is in Alita Battle Angel playing... She was... Nisiana. Which one was Nisiana? I have no clue. There's a, there's a fight in an alleyway quite early on. With some robots, I think she's... Oh, like... yeah, she's that one. She's the yeah, one who's... I think yeah, she, yeah. she's the robot yeah. from there, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one who turns up in a hood and then is suddenly like a robot spider underneath She's it. She's got like, yeah, knives for yeah. arms and hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's a tenuous one. Sam, uh, how do you pronounce his surname? The guy from Outlander. Uh, Sam Hewan? I'll take Hewan. you Hewan. Does anyone know? Hewan. He's, he's Jamie in Outlander yeah. anyway. He's not been in a superhero movie, but he played Mirror Master in Lego right, DC okay. Supervillains video game. <laughs> he also apparently played Batman, I'm just looking on Wikipedia, in a Batman Live what? touring show in 2011. <laughs> yep. so there you go. Uh, he has been Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Tallulah Riley is um, a nurse in Thor The Dark World and and Lady Eleanor Rigsby in the TV movie Foo Action, which is based on a Jamie Hewlett comic. And Saint, isn't St. Trinian's, t- well, it's based on a cartoon, as in like a that is true. cartoon yeah, or whatever, yeah. so that's technically a comic book. Oh God, do we have to do St. Trinian's <laughs> at some point? 
<laughs> That's technically yeah, a comic book movie. <laughs> um, obviously, we've got Guy Pearce, yeah, who we remember the from. Mandarin in Iron Man 3. <laughs> All the people who complain that the Mandarin isn't in Iron Man 3, yes, he yeah, is. He does clarify it. He says, I am, I don't you get it? I was the Mandarin. Yeah. In Iron Man 3. Uh, Toby Kebbell, we will we'll all, all remember, remember from... Uh, classic. <laughs> Fantastic Four. Yeah. He was Doctor Doom in Fantastic Four. And finally, for the main cast, Johannes, yeah. Johannes Hauke Johansson plays... I don't know the character, but I know what, any, I know, I know what film he's in. <laughs> he plays Yuri oh, wow. in Atomic, Atomic Blonde, Blonde. Yes. which is based on the comic book The Coldest City. Which is another one that we've been told we have to cover, but we haven't That's covered interesting, because I think yes. David Leach at one point was attached to direct Bloodshot, which would have made it a bit more of a... Interesting. You know, I guess the action would have felt a bit more real, maybe, um, than what we get uh, in, in, in mm. this version of it. Um, this is someone's feature debut in you know on the directing uh, front uh, Dave Wilson. Mm. It's not bad in that sense. Like for a first film it is competent. He's got a long future ahead of him directing competent action <laughs> movies it's if quite, that's what people it, want. Yes, it's just interesting like to yeah. for someone as a first feature film to be given this huge cast and you know a sizable budget he has got like a huge body of work behind him in visual effects um which i think we see on screen he's directed lots mm -hmm. of video games like the cinematic films that you you get in video games okay. before you actually take control of the character uh that's a lot of his background he did those yeah. for things like uh, bioshock and warhammer Forty Thousand video games um but uh but yeah just okay. it was interesting to see that he hadn't didn't have any like tv shows under his belt or second unit stuff just like straight in there director vin diesel here we go mm. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i will say of this film that it doesn't look cheap or bad like no. it's not you know it's not amazing but there's nothing that doesn't succeed from a technical level and it, and it does and it has effects for stuff yeah and well considering the scale of the effects that they're going for considering that the main thing is that he's got these like nanite clouds that he explodes into occasionally and you've got these guys with the sort of you know with with the enhancements and you have that i was going to come on to and talk about that in that final fight sequence the basically the superior spider-man arms <laughs> robot arms <laughs> yeah. the iron spider which I, I like the fact that you they they make him like look a bit Spider-Man villainy at the same time as the fight is taking place on an elevator that just immediately makes you think of um, the uh, Captain America soldier scene. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I feel like that's kind of intentional. I do feel like a little bit there they were going. We're a comic book movie. Let's remind you of comic book movies. Um, mm -hmm. And just before that, we've we've had a quite uh, one of the bits where, as, as I was mentioned before, like the character of KT, who I think when they introduce her, again, I think they're in danger of doing something interesting with her because I think she's the character who they might have explored. What is it like to have had these enhancements? And as I say, if the film was actually going down a Deus Ex style. Uh, exploring the concept of transhumanism angle, she's the character that it looks like it's going to do it with. And then they kind of forget about her for a lot of the film and her role is just basically to stand there and be sort of, oh, I don't think this is, I don't think this is nice what you're doing to him. And then she finally gets a pretty good bit in like the, 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 the fight before the final fight. She kind of gets a quite good moment and she gets to be, you know, the one who goes off with them as part of the goodies at the end. But I think you've got, I so say you've got those kind of, those action bits towards the end which some of them do kind of drag out a little bit but it's 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 all competent action it's it's fine uh, what it's doing i think 
it doesn't fulfill the James criteria of the action actually says something about the characters, which is <laughs> no, 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 no point. I don't think in the film the action does that. <laughs> it's quite um, I, I for me it is a front loaded film in terms of what I enjoyed, and I I really did like seeing all of the people's enhancements and seeing Katie's enhancement and that weird scene where she's having like a an angry midnight swim slash karate lesson at the bottom of the pool, mm. and then is just happens to be there. <laughs> Uh, watching and and that sort of stuff like i i was like okay this this could be quite interesting i thought the character of katie at least at Mm. that point you know like there was a lot about her which was maybe Mm. yeah like uh, drew me to her and think you know okay well she's also got this she sells her troubled past to vin and you're like okay cool i look forward to her Mm. overcoming this throughout this movie um (laughs) really you sort of I guess I don't know. You, I guess her main struggle is with uh, Guy Pierce, um, who he uh, he has this mm. literal control over her because he can turn her lungs off um, by by playing with his <laughs> iPad and. Uh, <laughs> And and I, 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 I wish it was a bit more sort of emotional rather than it just being like she has to beat the man with the remote control for her lungs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not not what you call a relatable uh, yeah. situation, right? It's weird, isn't it? Because they, they say like, oh, you know, she breathes through this hole in her chest. And then later when he suffocates her, she's like clutching her throat. <laughs> and like when she starts breathing, she's gasping through her mouth. And you're like, does your throat work or not? You know, you set up these rules and then you completely ignore them. Seduction via underwater karate is definitely an unusual. <laughs> I mean, that is the trope. when you were talking before about you know Vin Diesel not being able to do romance. It's like that's the moment where if you had a lead that was capable of of like sexual chemistry and tension, like you might have had a bit of frisson between the characters. But as it is, you're sat there going, "Well, this is the bit where this would be there." If you... <laughs> <laughs> well, Vin Diesel has this weird expression on his face, doesn't he? Like, like he is a child seeing breasts for the first time. <laughs> But he is actually seeing a woman yeah. do karate. And, and, and so like... there is also the thing, although this isn't unique to this film, but he is about 20, 25 years older than both the female characters yeah. in the film. I mean, in, so. in fairness, they don't they don't set up any explicit romance no. between those two characters. And in fact, they they kind of pull away mm. from it, even in mm. the very last scene. Like, he doesn't... There was a bit where I was like, is he going to kiss her now? Because that would feel so tacked on. <laughs> yeah. And then they didn't. And I was like, yeah, okay, good choice. I was yeah, mm. I was I was glad uh, to have seen that because yeah, like there's just no there's no chemistry throughout the film whatsoever. So you're like you can't have him <laughs> kiss at the end. So it doesn't make any sense. And he's been so I mean he's got quite an all we know about his relationship with um, his previous wife if they were married or partner is uh, that he he's very protective over her. But she they had broken up and she has moved on. Like we don't know he doesn't. And and she says, you know, it's because you weren't great at being, you never, you never, you weren't there. Um, I don't think he's a good bet for a romantic interest. <laughs> no, quite. Maybe he just needs someone who's living the same kind of <laughs> life of his. An awful, awful life. <laughs> you know, having their memory wipes to go and run assassination <laughs> missions. This film does, like actual fridging right yeah 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 when when the wife died i was like wow this is a classic fridging but is it a fridging if it didn't happen because i mean it's a at the moment that it happens it's a hundred percent a fridging i guess it motivates the it motivates yeah. the, uh, the the character at the time <laughs> even 
I get, even if it's a virtual fridging, <laughs> it still has the effect. I guess it's a fridging in as much or a, a, of a sense of, okay, technically it's not doing it to a character, but it is creating the same effect in you as in you are seeing a woman die on screen in order to motivate a male character. So it's, it's. I mean, it's a, it's another example of the film having its cake and eating it, really, because obviously it's not really happening. But Yeah, because later it goes, it's yeah. okay, she didn't die. And you're like, <laughs> okay. But, but your imagined death... She could still do something more. Yeah. In fact, it turns out she did the other thing that women do, which is have <laughs> yes, a child. She she has a child, which means that therefore uh, she is completely locked off from him for the rest of her life. That's the sort of, I am unavailable <laughs> yeah. because I have had a family. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had a family and therefore I'm yeah. dead below the waist. Even even though there's the played, shorthand. played by an actress who is renowned for having divorced the same man twice. <laughs> 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 to be fair if i was going to marry elon musk i would want to divorce him twice too <laughs> just to make sure <laughs> just to make sure exactly okay well i mean we've still you know uh, we certainly still have time if if you have anything else particularly pressing that you'd want to say about this film but equally there is there is one quick thing i want to say about this film which is that do we think this is the best version of a Bloodshot film that could have been made, or was there a better version of it somewhere? No, I mean, I, I think I've, I've said this a couple of times. I, I think there is a with without much knowledge of Bloodshot, the source material, and I, and maybe if if I if you if I looked at this and kind of looked at what I knew about the source material, I'd gone, yeah, that's about as good as it could have been. I think the problem with this film is that it, it in multiple places hints at the possibility of a better film. And as I say, I think if you put Jake Gyllenhaal in there and you focus more on the trauma of becoming what he's become and you make that the arc mm-hmm. and you introduce Wilfred Wiggins earlier... Um, I mean, <laughs> almost yeah. what you're yeah. doing there is you're starting to turn it into Punisher, I suppose. But I mean, actually, superpowered Punisher, complete with his own micro, I, I, I'd, I'd buy that. You know, I think, I, th- I think, I think it's in there. I do think there is a better film you could have done with this. See, I, I sort of think this film doesn't want to be a bloodshot film. What it wants to be is an action film with mm. a weird twist, and they went. Well, we've got this bloodshot character who, let's face it, no one knows about, no mm. one cares about. And we've got this loose idea for a sort of fun script based around a character who has his memories twisted. It doesn't It doesn't seem like those two had to intersect. And I think what the Marvel films do really well is that they look at what is the central conflict of this character and how can we realise that in a story. And this film goes, we have a generic guy with superpowers that make him strong and hard to kill let's just Mm. do any story with that guy in it does feel like it's been more it's just more of a vin diesel like vin diesel is stronger than the source Mm. material in this so i think as soon as vin diesel comes on he has a producer credit he has so much leverage he can start calling shots um (laughs) he's like i'm not doing that in a film I would do this in a film. Yes, I yeah. would quite like a car chase. Thank you. Um, I will only wear vests. And I think he, and it, and it becomes, and that's why so many of his films are the same. Um, or they follow a similar sort of beat, you know, because I think that he has an idea of what, yeah, like what he likes to do, what he thinks his fans want him to do and what interests mm-hmm. him. And and I, I think that's a shame that he is, he's just one of those guys with so much clout. Um, he can call those shots. And yeah, I've, 
it would have been nice to have in more interesting casting throughout. I think Michael Sheen was supposed to play the Guy Pierce character at one point. And I would, again, I just would have preferred that. Um, <laughs> Michael Sheen would have been quite fun going up against Vin. That's a fun mm. image in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Sheen against Jared Leto. That's what we could have had. <laughs> I don't really know much about like the the universe this comes from though valiant comics is a name that doesn't really ring a bell with me either so i i it, what i did enjoy about this film was having no like with a marvel film or a dc film i start to sort of expect things or oh, will there be an, a character like a, a cameo or or something to another character and with this I, I really was watching this as if it was a vin diesel film mm. anyway rather than it being part of a, a comic book universe <laughs> you know the funny thing is that there's when wilfred wiggins turns up he like he makes a joke and he's like, yeah, yeah, it's such a comic book name, isn't it? He's not from the <laughs> comics. <laughs> some of the some of the names are recycled from the comics. The characters aren't, but the names are. Like Martin Axe exists mm. in the comics as a completely different character. Um, Gina Garrison is in there, and she's like the the wife of a mobster at one point or something. Like there's there's stuff um, that there there are bits that hint at the fact that this was mm. at one point based on a comic. They they don't do the universe building thing. Like again, Seb mentioned at some point that this was supposed to be the start of a Valiant universe, and I think they actually pulled away from that a lot earlier than we expect. Because um, the only other film that they were developing, uh, it's I can't even remember who it was. It's, but it's it, Har- it Harbinger. So there was supposed to be a Harbinger film, which was Harbinger, supposed to be yeah. the next film after Bloodshot, and it's be yeah, it's moved from Sony to Paramount. So it's still happening, yeah. but it's going to be a different distributor. So it's obviously not going to be part of the same universe as Bloodshot. So yeah, I think they've, mm-hmm. they're have they not, not as far as we know, they haven't stopped pressing on with doing more Valiant films, but... Uh, the idea yeah, of them all linking up eventually good, is a lot. frankly. And there weren't... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there weren't in... In this movie, there weren't any nods to any other big mm. Valiant heroes. And, like, there are some. There are some that I would mm. have recognized had I seen them. Like, if they chucked Exo Manowar or something in here, I would have gone, mm. oh, that's, no, it's that's very, the guy. As but I say, I mean, all in all, apart from the, those couple of little deliberately referency moments, it doesn't feel like a comic book movie. Uh, say, it feels like a video game movie. And it doesn't feel at all like it's a movie that's interested in being part of something bigger you know it sets up its own sequel if they get the chance to do it and i kind of i almost i almost want them to get the chance to do it. i almost hope it does well enough on video on demand that after all of this because it's like you know this film has been this is like almost the opposite of new mutants in that like this you know new mutants is a film that everyone wants to see and they just seem determined not to release whereas this was like (laughs) <laughs> Nobody, they wanted to get this out there and just their timing was so bad it's like it's the cursed film and i kind of want this to do quite well and get another shot even though i don't think it was particularly brilliant um i i sort of think this film had all the time it needed to get as much money as it was going to <laughs> that like one it, weekend. it had two three weeks it had a couple of weeks of being like the film and no one cared so you know, how much of his box office was going to happen in weeks 3 to 16? <laughs> I would bet not a lot. All that great word of mouth it would have got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It is, um, there is like, in terms of the cinema release calendar, blockbusters that are released in sort of February and early March are usually, it's sort of like code for 
these are not very good <laughs> um you know it's where you see things like usually like the liam neeson running around a town punching people films come out in that time or uh, this year we had bad boys for life which actually was i thought was quite good but i can understand maybe you know people not thinking it is going to prop up a cinema over summer uh so you put it out <laughs> during this time and uh and yeah it, so it, it totally fills the remit for the time of year they released it um and and it absolutely suffered because of cinemas closing but um but yeah I'd, I'd love to know what money it makes on rental because it's maybe more something that you would if you don't have to travel somewhere and you know like buy multiple tickets or pay for a babysitter or whatever like maybe you would take more of a punt on on something like this for 4.99 rather than you know two cinema tickets and, and travel and all that sort of stuff <laughs> Exactly. Although I did really want to see this at Beckenblex. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like your thing. Like you, you, you have like one cinema that's where you go to see less good films for four ninety nine because where I live, the local cinema, everything is a fiver except for on Wednesday where it's two for one. Mm, that's that's vendor prices. <laughs> you know, I I recently discovered that living in Milton Keynes means that I am in one of the top ten most expensive like cinema towns. Well, that's that in that's... the country. So if anyone wants to come to Milton Keynes and open a budget cinema, <laughs> you have that's my the, That's the legacy of Superman 4. They want to make sure it never happens again, so they don't want Milton Keynes associated right, the with the home of Superman cinema. 4. This is better than Superman 4. I think we can say yeah. that. It's maybe not as fun as Superman 4, but it's a better film than Superman 4. Put that on the posters. <laughs> it would look better on your CV than Superman 4, I'll say that much. I wish they'd had a bit more fun marketing it than the, the posters look mm. so generic and almost yeah. like a horror film. Um, whereas the Superman <laughs> 4 poster has yeah. a bit of character to it. But again, this, and this, is, um, this is why I, I just wish they'd have a bit of fun with super this. violent thing. Um, and actually, yeah, it's this kind of PG 30. And I think even just down to the fact that I, I, while I was kind of watching this, I was, I was kind of thinking, oh, do you know what? Like a. I could imagine like 13 year olds really enjoying this, but actually, no, it's not even edgy and violent enough for 13 year olds. It's like for a 13 year old to love it, it's got to feel like they shouldn't be watching it. It's got to be, it comes back to your know, aliens kind of, well, Terminator 2 kind of dies it down, you know, it's that kind of. <laughs> and I bet exactly. Deadpool is so it's, that, it doesn't that even really hit that. And that's a, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it could have gone more heavily on that side of things. And the posters made it look like it did. Can I can I just talk actually about how terrible a name Bloodshot mm. is? It sounds so is, generic. Has he ever called it in the film? <laughs> no, he's absolutely not. <laughs> That's a very good point. But like, if someone said to me, like, what film do you think Bloodshot is? I would say, well, Van Damme was in it in 1993. And like, it's about a Marine who kills people. And it's almost there, right? I mean, it's just... It kind of doesn't. It just doesn't work as a thing because it's like it's an like it sounds right in that it's two words. It's blood and it's shot, and they are both <laughs> words that you would find yeah. as either the prefix or suffix of the name of that kind of character, which is fine. <laughs> the problem is those kind of names only work if you put them together and they haven't been put together before. So. You know, yeah. if it was like kill they need to, blood. it needs to be like yeah, exactly, blood fist exactly. or kill but shot. Bloodshot yeah. is a <laughs> Those word. Work. It bloodshot means is something. a thing. Bloodshot is what yeah, happens to your what, eyes. I, yeah, it's a thing that happens to your eyes. It doesn't mean man that shoots people. So it's yeah, it means you yeah. had a bad night's sleep. <laughs> 
it does sound like a film that you might see advertised on a marquee in the simpsons <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that like energy but you know it's like the the, the parody <laughs> name that garth ennis came up with in an early issue of hitman in, on what is still one of the greatest covers ever he came up with a basically a spoof vigilante character called night fist and the cover says enter night fist he will hit you with his fist and it's it's wonderful but it's like night fist <laughs> is a better name than bloodshot and it was a joke <laughs> i'm just looking and just just to try this i'm gonna look at what mcbain's <laughs> movies are the posters for bloodshot do make a bigger thing uh, out of his chest glowing red than the film does yeah it happens once uh, the McBain movies aren't aren't that good. Well, yeah, because well, I thought it was just called McBain oh. because there's the whole thing about isn't it supposed to be? Uh, there's the there's the thing the theory that it's you can stitch it together into one movie. I'm sure there there is a good title though. There is a gag of McBain will return, and they I'm sure they give that a good title, but I can't remember what it is. I'm just seeing if I can. As McBain two is you have the right to remain dead. That's it. McBain will return and you have the yeah, right to And there is death. McBain 5 is Fatal Discharge. <laughs> fatal Discharge. Yep. That's a great title. But Bloodshot is not. It's a it's a mediocre name for a mediocre action film. Not the worst thing we've covered on the podcast. But, it's probably not going to trouble the awards. No, it's not the worst thing we've covered on the podcast. I don't I don't feel like we've wasted time uh seeing it or talking about it and you know, yeah. <laughs> That's the best I can it's say. It's a fun it's a fun watch. It's massively there's so many like curio uh sort of elements to it including the fact it you know had its cinema run uh cut short due to uh global yeah. catastrophe um they they really on again on the posters it's just they keep using the word superhero everywhere being a superhero is in his blood mm. it's like what <laughs> is it <laughs> i mean he he has superpowers but it's just the film doesn't really make enough of them for it to it doesn't have any other superhero tropes beyond it does say powers. on the on this so. poster i'm looking at it says superheroes are getting an upgrade that is selling this film all wrong <laughs> It's like marketing have seen the film yeah. and they're like, well, the film doesn't really play out like a superhero film. So if you just write the word superhero on it, <laughs> like you wouldn't write superhero People on a Batman poster or an Avengers poster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just tell the audience it's a superhero film. I like the idea of just, yeah, putting the word superhero on basically unrelated films to try and get people into them. <laughs> Bridget Jones's Diary 4. Bridget, Bridget Jones's Superhero Diary. <laughs> But the thing is, you you could put a statement that was true. You could you could put like you know, superhero movies have never looked so whatever, and it's like, well, they, they, have, well, they yeah. haven't. But this isn't one. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so that was Bloodshot. It was fine. Watch it if you fancy. Sam enjoyed it, probably maybe slightly more than we did because he likes Vin Diesel. But even though he fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I think my one of my uh, sort of go-to types of films are films that would be really good on a plane, and uh, this film would be so good on a plane. You would have the best time. <laughs> uh, so maybe you know, hold off. You know, wait a few months until air travel resumes, and uh, just book a flight somewhere <laughs> and watch it, <laughs> to watch Bloodshot. Just so you can you're watch like, Bloodshot. <laughs> to be fair, with the price of fuel, it'll probably be cheaper to book a flight than it will be to watch this film online. It's at so, least one star yeah, better on a plane. 
That's a Sam Clement <laughs> <Okay>. promise. <laughs> it goes from two to three. <laughs> well, thank you, Sam, for joining us to talk through that. Uh, pleasure to have you back on the show. Uh, we talked about 90 minutes before, but tell us where, plug your stuff and tell us where people can find you. And, uh, and So stuff. to listen to the podcast, just search for 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest on wherever you're listening to this. We're on Spotify, Overcast, all that sort of stuff. And uh, why not leave us a review if you like it? You know, it's always nice to have one of those. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at 90 Min Film Fest. And yeah, we'll have Seb on uh, very soon in the coming coming weeks and if you go back through the feed we've got uh, two batman movies one with amon woman and one with sanpei uh that might be of interest if you want to dip your toe in a 90 minutes film first world my, my favorite episode is joe cornish i was very impressed that you got joe cornish i thought you were going to say joe cunningham <laughs> <laughs> but no the joe cornish one is better there's no doubt yeah, we had a uh, joe cunningham on uh formerly of this parish uh definitely not talking about a superhero film um a very independent shane meadows movie from him and then yeah joe cornish came on to talk about uh evil dead 2 which was uh, brilliant because a i love joe cornish b i love evil dead 2 uh so that was <laughs> that was a lot of fun and we've actually recently recorded someone doing army of darkness or evil dead 3 Ooh, uh, which exciting. Will come out that's my over, favorite one. over summer and and i have looked up evil dead is also under 90 minutes the first evil dead uh so maybe we we can do the whole trilogy mm. over the course of this podcast it's up for grabs nice <laughs> and mine is not a comic book movie but we won't spoil what it is <laughs> no it's but i loved your choice out. and it was so much fun to uh yeah to get to talk about it uh yeah it was, uh... <laughs> people who know me might be able to figure out what it is but we'll we'll leave it there well sam yeah as i say th- thanks again for coming on absolute pleasure uh who, where are you on twitter if people don't already uh, know you can you find me on you. twitter at sam underscore clements i'm one of those underscore kids because um, <laughs> the real sam clements is got the handle still and he's just an egg and he never tweets did he last tweet in 2011 or <laughs> um, something yeah i think i yeah. i think 2010 is when i registered but he must have got there a few days before me it's so annoying yeah. as um, someone so with yeah. a generic name i know your pain although it tends to be my email address that's the problem <laughs> i am the actual james hunt on twitter so Oh, I've got good. that over everyone. Yeah. I had to wrestle it off a parody account huh? of the long dead super uh, superhero, the long dead Formula One driver. But um, oh, wow. it was at a time when Twitter didn't allow you to impersonate people, so I they booted that person and gave me the name. Oh, that's that's a good, that's a nice win. Thankfully, you did. Did you do it before Rush happened? <laughs> yep, it's a victory for all people with generic names. <laughs> maybe one day i'll get it i don't know i sort of given up i did i used to sort of look at every now and then to see if he tweeted anything but um i don't think he has as of lately um but thank you so much for having me on it was really you know i i, I had a good time watching bloodshot even though i fell asleep but i really enjoyed catching up with it the next morning and it's been really nice to talk to some people about it because i think you are the only two people i know who's also seen this film <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes thank you for having me Thanks for coming on. You're very welcome, and thanks for coming on. Uh, and if and if you listening enjoyed hearing us talking about it, uh, well, as per usual, you can find more episodes and subscribe on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, Stitcher, your podcast app of choice. You can leave us a review there, but Sam's already kind of nabbed the, the, the review request for this episode. So uh, uh, you can also find everything else that we do at cinematicuniverse.com. You can buy our merchandise at cinematicu.redbubble.com. And if you want to get in touch, the best way is on Twitter at cine underscore verse or with an email to podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. If you want to support the show even further, you can back us on Patreon. That'll get you ad-free access to the episodes as well as bonus material, including James's X-Men 92 episode reviews. Still going. Yeah, just about still going. I've had a lot of freelance work, but I'm getting back to them. As well as our weekly live stream movie watch-alongs. 
I'm a Patreon of your show, and I, I love those, um, <laughs> those little bite-sized I'm, X-Men I'm very glad. Uh, James, I think they're really great. Uh, there so, we go. Uh, I'm a satisfied <laughs> customer. You. Would recommend uh, patronizing your show. <laughs> so many people are going to stop backing us when James gets to the end of that show. It's like, <laughs> we're going to lose so many. It's so popular. Um, should I just put them on the... No, we shouldn't just put them on the main feed. They're encouraging people. Uh, including in, People including, thank you to uh, Boots Magoot. That that was that was the name she put on on Patreon. Uh, Ed Lowe and Michael Warren for joining up since our last episode, and top backer Brendan Roberts. And thank you to everyone, Patreon backer or no, for listening. As ever, we really appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.